And we're going to read verse 1 down through verse 5 as we continue our study through Revelation. I'll tell you what, let's all begin in verse 1. We'll read verses 1, 3, and 5 out loud. I'll read verses 2 and 4 alone. So together, verse 1, ready? And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel stood having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense. Offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. Today, as we continue the study, we're going to look at a perspective on God's passion, a perspective on God's passion. Let's pray. Lord, I pray you give us uh, ears to hear and hearts to understand your word. And Lord, uh, the, the upcoming events in Revelation. But Lord, may we not just be mesmerized by the future, but Lord, may we be inspired to live right today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Okay, so far we've gone through the first uh, seven chapters of the book of Revelation And one thing I'd like to do is take just a few minutes and give you a timeline of the events. Now, for those of you sitting in the back, it's going to be tough for you to see. I'll tell you what, if you get me your email address after the service, I'd be happy to email you these slides. If you're sitting toward the front or you're in the back and you've got really good vision, you'll be able to read it. But I will read it to you otherwise, but I want to give you an idea of the upcoming events. So let's let's go through these One slide at a time, and I think that this will help you to understand uh, how how this works here. Okay, Uh, get a good idea of the book. So chapters 6 through 9 cover the beginning of the seven-year tribulation and go down uh, through the first three and a half years. Back in Daniel chapter 9 where we began, verse number 27. Let's see, i got a laser pointer here. Is it working? If I can get this thing to work. There we go. Okay, right here. Uh, the first three and a half years, uh, the, the great seven-year tribulation is broken up in half. Begins uh, uh, here, or begins rather here, I'll get to that in a minute, and to this point. So, and, then it, and then the chapters 10 through 14 cover the midpoint events of the tribulation. Chapters 15 through 19 cover the second half of the tribulation. Okay, And so uh, before uh, all of this begins, we're currently living in the church age. The church age began with the ascension of Jesus Christ, and the church age will end with the ascension of the church at the rapture. Okay, Over here, you have the millennial reign of Christ. After the uh, seven-year tribulation, Jesus Christ will set up his throne in Jerusalem and will uh, lead the world, this world, for a thousand years. I'll go on to the next slide there. The, The next event on the prophetic clock that we're waiting for is the rapture of the church saints, uh, and after we're raptured, we will be judged in heaven. We talked about this a couple of weeks back. Revelation chapter 4 talks about uh, this event. It's also talked about several other places in the New Testament. But Jesus Christ will come down to the clouds. That's not the second coming. That's a different event. But come down to the clouds. A trumpet will sound. And those of us that are saved, we're going to shoot up to heaven. It's going to be a glorious event. And so, the, uh, so that's uh, going to the next.
next slide there. The last event uh, of the uh, of the tribulation uh, period will be the second coming of Christ and the battle of Armageddon. There's a field outside of Jerusalem known as Megiddo. Many uh, uh, many battles have been fought there, but Christ will come down uh, with his bride, the church. We will follow him on horses. And we will ride down and he will defeat his enemies at the very end of the tribulation. That is also when the millennial reign of Christ will begin, right here at that second coming of Christ. Okay, go on to the next slide there. The middle of the event is known as something uh, called in Daniel chapter 9 verse 27 and referenced several times throughout the New Testament as the abomination of desolation. We'll get into this more in the coming weeks, but what that is, is that at the midpoint of the tribulation, the Antichrist is going to go from being one of the world's leaders to becoming the main leader of the world. He's going to go into the temple that will be built and he will uh, put up a statue of himself and he will call himself God. And that is the abomination of desolation. Okay, that is uh, the Antichrist who will begin his global domination. So between here uh, and here, you have seven, di- seven different, uh, or three sets of seven judgments that God will pour out on the earth. The- these here represent those three sets of judgments. This is very important that you hear this, okay? The seventh of each judgment, of the first two, opens up the next set. You ever have those uh, dolls that you take up, you open it up and there's more dolls on the inside? The seventh one opens up another set of judgments, okay? So the first you have, I'll, I'll cue you on when to put the slide up, but the first you have the seal judgments. We covered that last week, the seven seal judgments. The seventh seal judgment opens up the seven trumpet judgments. We're going to look at those today. Today we're going to be right here uh, in the on the timeline, okay? The seventh um, uh, trumpet judgment opens up the seven vial or bowl judgments. We'll talk about those in the coming weeks. Uh, so go ahead through that next slide up there. The first uh, seal judgment was the opening of the white, uh, the first seal. That was the white horse uh, representing the Antichrist. He will come along. He has a bow with no arrow. He will come along and he will help strike a peace deal between Jerusalem and her enemies. Probably involved in that will be the building of the new temple. Uh, that will conclude with the seventh judgment and the great silence in heaven. We'll talk about that more in a minute. I'll go ahead and throw the next slide up there. The 70th week in Daniel, uh, by the way, that word week is a unit of seven. Okay, unit of seven. We think of a week as seven days. Daniel's reference of 70 weeks is 70 sets of seven years or 490 years. We've already gone through the first 69 sets of seven years. That was 483 years completed in the cutting off the Messiah. If your head's spinning right now, go back and listen to the last two sermons. I'm recapping this, okay? Uh, but uh, the 70th week or the last set of seven years begins when that first seal is open and the treaty is signed. The seventh, that's, that seven-year period will end with the second coming of Christ. All right, so uh, go ahead and throw the next one up there. The, the trumpet judgments we'll be looking at today, uh, the first trumpet down to the seventh uh, trumpet. Inside of that time frame, between the sixth and seventh trumpet, next slide, you're going to have the two witnesses. All right, now who are the two witnesses? We don't know exactly who they are. There are some names that people float out there, okay? Some people think that the two witnesses are either Moses, Elijah, Enoch. I've heard John the Baptist's name floated out there. I've heard the Apostle John floated out there. 
the truth is we don't know. All right, but who are they? What do they do? Well, we know, we'll talk about this again in the weeks to come, but we know that they will prophesy in Jerusalem outside of the temple against the Antichrist and that kingdom. And people are going to hate them for their sermon. Um, you ever tried going out to the town green and preaching against some of the sins of today? You get, you get, you get persecuted pretty hard. Well, people are going to come at them and they're going to open their mouth and fire is going to come out of their mouth and they're going to destroy people. How many of you here like watching sci-fi on TV? There are no sci-fi movies that match what's going to happen in the end time. Um, they wish they could do it as good as God does it. All right, some of you didn't raise your hand, and I know you're Star Trek and Star Wars fans. How many of you like Star Trek more than Star Wars? How many of you like Star Wars more than Star Trek? Star Wars wins. Okay. Um, I don't have a preference. I'm not going to get anybody mad at me. Okay. Um, these two witnesses, at the right at the time of the midpoint of the tribulation, they're going to prophesy for a thousand and... 260 days, if I remember right. But they get down to the end of that time, and the Antichrist, on his way to set up his reign in the temple, he's going to kill the two witnesses. Now, no one else will have been able to do this, but he's going to kill them, and their bodies are going to lie dead in the streets. I don't know how he's going to kill them, but the Bible says that every everyone in the world will see it, see them dead. Well, how? Well, you know, you got cameras, and People have smartphones. They'll see it. And the people will rejoice in the streets. Here's the crazy part. After three and a half days, those two witnesses that have been killed for preaching the, the message of God uh, in this wicked time, they're going to raise up from the dead right off the street they were killed on, and then they're going to ascend up to heaven. It's going to be wild. I hope we get to look down on earth and see all that. Okay. Throw the next slide up there for me. We all know about the mark of the beast, right? Six, 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 okay? Uh, there's actually a phobia out there where people are afraid of the number six, six, six. It's nothing you need to be afraid of. Six is the number of man. Three sixes is Satan, uh, is, is the number of, of Satan. And uh, the, mark, the beast is going to put a mark on uh, the forehead or under the right hand or on the right hand of everyone remaining. And the Bible tells us that you will not be able to buy or sell anything without that mark. My opinion, let me make sure I state it this way, my opinion is that that mark will be some kind of chip that will be implanted in the hand or in the forehead, and you'll be able to pay at the counter with that. It'll probably have all your medical records on there. Uh, it will be a very convenient thing to have. It will probably have a global positioning system chip, uh, in it, so they'll be able to know where you are at all times. You say, well, are people going to sign up for this? The world is going to be, uh, uh, after these judgments right here, uh, these seven judgments and these seven judgments, at this point, half of the world's population will have been killed, and there won't be any food left to just go to the, down to the store and buy. And you're going to be told, if you want your ration of food to eat, you better put this chip in your hand, or rather take this mark. I, I don't want to assume it's a chip, but to take this mark. I, my opinion is this is a chip, but I don't want to be assumptive of that. So people are going to be in line to get the chip or the mark so that they can uh, they can buy and sell. And if you don't take the mark of the beast, uh, you're going to be a marked man to die. They're going to come after you to kill you. By the way, let me just throw this out here. Uh, back over here in this process, God seals the saints with his own mark. Everything God does, Satan likes to copy. You can put the next slide up there for me. Again, it's, if you're sitting in the back, it's tough to read a lot of this. But 
These are the first vile or bold judgments. And the seventh one, the last one, is the greatest earthquake the world's ever seen. That will take place after Jesus comes back to earth. So that is the prophetic uh, timeline as Pastor Lejeune interprets the book of Revelation. There are good people out there that disagree with some of this. That's okay. They can be wrong and I can be right. It's all good. Okay. I'm just teasing. All right. Um, We're going to focus today right here in this range right here. The first trumpet down to the seventh uh, trumpet. Uh, Next week, we've got a guest speaker speaking with a a tour group that's coming through to sing. And then uh, the week after that, we'll be right here at the midpoint events. And then we'll finish up the week after that with uh, chapters 15 through 19. And then maybe even do a sermon after that with the last three chapters involving the millennial reign of Christ. But today we're going to focus in on uh, those uh, seven trumpet judgments. Um, one thing that many Christians seem to forget is just how passionate God is about righteousness. He's passionate about it. You say, well, I've been saved, like that group song, I've been saying, uh, I've been saved and... Um, um, God does not see my sin. God does not see your sin when it comes to your eternal account. But, oh, God sees all of the sins that you commit as his child. And let me just tell you something. He hates sin. He hates sin. Now, you're not going to hear this at the feel-good churches in town or on the mega church TV channels, but God hates your sin. You say, how much does God hate sin? Have you ever studied about hell? Have you ever studied what we're going to look at today? God hates sin so much, he's going to pour out his wrath in a way that just uh, makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up once you understand it. God loves righteousness. God loves your righteousness. And you say, what is righteousness? Um, This might be an oversimplification of the word, but the word righteousness means right doing or doing Right. The old preacher Bob Jones from the 1950s and 60s, he used to preach up a storm and he would say, do right till the stars fall. Just do right, do right, do right, do right, do right. And i got to say this morning is that God loves it when you choose to just do right in, the, in spite of all of the evil and the sin going on around you. He's passionate about it. His passion toward righteousness uh, is, is love poured out on you and closeness poured out on you and emotional intimacy with your Creator and your King. His passion against sin and wrongdoers and those who choose to take an aloof attitude toward sin and live in their sinful habits. His attitude is hate and chastisement and a consuming fire. Now, the principle uh, will be made clear through the sermon this morning as we see God punish the earth and its inhabitants and we see how they respond. Let me ask you a couple of questions this morning, Christian. Do you hate your own sin? Do you hate it? When uh, sin is pointed out in your life, whether it's through the Holy Spirit prodding you from within or a Sunday school teacher who brings up something through a lesson or a sermon you hear from this pulpit, and the Holy Spirit begins to poke you on the inside and say, that's wrong in your life. Do you shrug your shoulders and say, oh well, it's there. So what? Or is there something inside of you that says, I hate my sin. Lord, help me to stop. Do you hate your own sin? When sin in your life is discovered or uncovered, what is your attitude about it? Are you stubborn? About your sin? Or are you submissive toward God 
when that sin is pointed out. I'm going to tell you that there are times in my life where I struggle with some sort of a habitual sin. And uh, I have uh, I've been on both sides of this. I've been stubborn about it. But I'm going to tell you, there have been times I've been very submissive. Can I tell you what I find when I'm submissive toward God about the sin that's in my life? I find that I have a battle on my hands. It's not where I get down on my knees and I say, Lord, I'm struggling with this. Will you take it from me? 99% of the time, he doesn't take it from me. You know what he says? I want you to fight against it. And when you fail, I want you to get down on your knees humbly and I want you to apologize to me. And I will give you the strength to overcome that through the power of the Holy Spirit within you. But you need to battle. I, I, uh, uh, I can think of different times in my life where I've struggled with different things. And generally, I've not given up a habitual sin on the first try. It's been more like the fifth or the sixth or the seventh or the eighth try. God needs to see that you're battling. And uh, sin in your life uh, that's there, it's, it's not ever okay. But God is willing to work with you and, and love you and help you. But He needs to see that you have a submissive spirit toward that. God is not going to pour out a passionate chastisement on those who are quick to confess and work hard toward change. But He will chastise and punish a person who is living in sin and refuses to accept the sin and change the sin. Now, we're going to jump in and we're going to look at the second set of judgments as we continue through the book of Revelation. Let's look at five main thoughts together. Point number one, notice the praise of the martyrs, the praise of the martyrs. Go back with me to chapter seven and look at verse number nine. Revelation chapter seven and verse number nine. It says there in this I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds, and people, and tongues, stood before the throne, and behold the Lamb, clothed with white robes, and, uh, and, and psalms, uh, palms in their hands. Now, who is this crowd that's standing before God with white robes? So you go back a chapter, uh, to chapter 6, and you see that these are the martyrs who were killed for their faith. They were testifying for God during the tribulation. They were murdered for it. And the Bible says that God gave them robes of white. So many people that are going to be martyred during the seven-year tribulation by the Antichrist and the evil kingdom that you're not even going to be able to count them in heaven. That's how numerous they're going to be. Now, so they're wearing white robes. They're standing before the throne of the Lamb. Look at verse 10. And cry. This is the crowd with the white robes, the martyrs, and crowd with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. They're going to stand before him after they've been murdered for their faith and they're going to praise the Lamb. They're going to praise the Lamb. Are you praising the Lamb? Last Sunday we talked about the worship of the Lamb. Did you go home after last Sunday's sermon and make an, uh, an extra effort to worship God for who He is, to raise His name up, to praise Him? And uh, in heaven, that's what the martyrs are going to do after they've been killed for their faith. Number two, notice the prayer of the saints. Now, this is really fascinating, the prayer of the saints. Look at chapter 8, verse number 1. And when he had opened the seventh seal... 
And there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. Now, there's all of this praise going on in heaven. And then Jesus takes that title deed of the earth and he breaks open the seventh seal. The wax seal on the back of that. And as soon as he does, he opens up the scroll, the title deed of the earth, and it gets quiet in heaven. The praise stops for 30 minutes. I'm going to confess something to you here. Prior to studying for this set of sermons, my knowledge of Revelation was little. My attitude toward the book was, all that's going to happen in the future, it doesn't affect me now. Why should I care? That was my attitude. And I was talking to someone on the phone about this, a friend of mine on the phone about this, and I I told him that, and he said, but you're forgetting that you are going to care what happens on the earth. You're going to be in heaven when that seventh seal is broken open. The title deed is rolled open, and you're going to get quiet. And you're going to care. You're also going to care that there's no person worthy to take the scroll from God. And when Jesus is chosen, you're going to rejoice. And I said, you know what? Maybe I ought to pay a little more attention to this. Now, uh, the seal is open. The title of heaven is, is shown. Look at verse 2. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Now, keep that in mind. We're going to look at this a little bit closer in a minute. Number, no, verse 3. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints, all saints, under the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, which came with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hands. And the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire, uh, with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. So let me explain this to you here. Uh, uh, how many of you remember from the Old Testament the uh, the brazen altar that sat there in the uh, it, it, right there in, uh, outside of the tent? You go inside the you go inside the wall. There's that brazen altar where the sacrifices were offered. How many of you remember we covered that in church? Uh, I guess about a year and a half ago. And uh, that one of those where the sacrifices were offered is going to be sitting right in front of the throne of God. And an angel's going to come up and uh, he's going to have coals of fire on that altar and he's going to take the prayers of the saints and they're going to be in the form of incense. Now, how many of you here have ever been to a Catholic church? Most of you. This is a Catholic area, right? Okay. How many of you have ever seen the priest do the thing with the incense? Okay. I've had to go to several Catholic funerals and I have seen that happen. All right. That is going to happen by the angel. But it's not going to be some weird odor that goes through a cathedral. It's going to be the prayers of the saints on the inside of that. Now, which prayers are going to be in there? When you pray, Lord, give me that sports car, is that prayer going to be in there? That's not going to be in there. Letter A, notice the the prayers of the faithful. The prayers of the faithful. This is really cool what I'm about to show you. At least I think it is. You remember when Jesus taught the disciples the model prayer, Matthew chapter 6? The disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us how to pray, or teach us to pray. And Jesus took them through the prayer. In that prayer, Jesus told them to pray this, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as, as, as it is in heaven. Now, we talked about how that the kingdom of God is the church. But I'm going to, uh, I'm going to double back on that and expand that a little bit. I do believe that the kingdom of God is the church, 
but the church is the precursor, is the beginning of the kingdom, and the full extent of the kingdom is Jesus sitting on his throne and ruling and reigning with his church, helping him govern the world. Who is at the center of both the kingdom uh, millennial age and who is at the center of the church? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. When you bow your head and you say, thy kingdom come, what you're saying is, Lord, we want this, these events to happen. And so every time someone has prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, you are praying uh, uh, that, uh, that God will rain down his wrath on sinners who hate God. Let her be. Notice the prayers of the fallen. The prayers of the fallen. Go back to Revelation chapter number 6 and look at verse number 10. Revelation chapter 6 and verse number 10. These are the martyrs from the fifth uh, uh, seal judgment. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? O Lord, holy and true, uh, uh, how long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not avenge Dost thou not judge and avenge our blood? You know what those prayers are? They're the prayers of the martyrs who were killed. They're the prayers of those who fell in their testimony. Now, we know that blood has a voice. Blood has a voice. You remember when uh, Cain killed Abel? God came to Cain and he said, What hast thou done? Where is thy brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? He said, the blood of your brother calleth to me from the ground. Blood is a voice. And the blood of everyone that's been killed for righteousness sake. That voice is crying out to God. God, when are you going to avenge? When are you going to avenge? Now, I want you to catch this. This is very, very good, very, very helpful to those of you that have been hurt by somebody. God always avenges wrong. But his timing is not our timing. And his method is not our method. But his timing is better than our timing. And his approach and his uh, uh, completeness is way more thorough than you and I could ever do. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith who? Saith the Lord. And so someone does you wrong, you don't need to pay him back. The old phrase, I don't get mad, I get... Let God get even. Let God do it. These saints are going to be martyred on earth. In, in, in groves. I mean, a bunch of them are going to be killed. Their voice is going to cry out from the, uh, from the Lord. By the way, in uh, the book of Psalms, where David cries out uh, that his enemies be, be punished, that was prophetic of the time that the saints would cry out in Revelation and say, Lord, when will you avenge us? When will you avenge us? And the prayers of those saints will be that incense. And the, the, uh, the angel is going to reach down and take some of the hot coals off of that altar where this incense is burning. And he's going to fling it down on earth. And when he does, there's going to be voices and thunders and lightnings and earthquakes that will plague the earth as a result of the prayers of the saints. Number three, notice the punishment of the sinners. The punishment of the sinners. This is continued punishment. And we're going to look at some pretty crazy things that will happen. You remember on that timeline between the, 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 the uh, seal judgments 
and the midway point, there are those seven trumpet judgments. So if you go back into Deuteronomy, and I had to cut this out of the sermon because it's just too much. But back in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, uh, we're given, or rather, I think it's Numbers 8. Numbers 8. We're given three reasons why a trumpet is used. I didn't have time to go to fully expound this thought, but all three of the reasons why a trumpet are used are applicable to this. I would encourage you to go back and study that on your own, but here you've got uh, trumpets given to these angels. Seven angels, seven trumpets, and as they blow their trumpets, a different judgment is going to fall down on earth from God in heaven. And so let's look at these seven trumpet judgments. First, look at Revelation 8, verse number 1, and when he had opened the seventh seal... So the seventh seal begins the process of the seven trumpet judgments. There was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given the seven trumpets. Look down at verse 6. And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. So what were these seven judgments? They're fierce. They're nasty. And they, a lot of them mirror what happened in the book of Exodus with Pharaoh in Egypt. Let's look at the seven trumpet judgments. Number one, notice hail mingled with fire and blood. Hail mingled with fire and blood. Now, we don't need a scientific explanation about hail could fall out of the sky and be mixed with fire and blood because this is a supernatural act from God, and God can do whatever he wants. Look at Revelation 8, verse 7. The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire, mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of trees was burnt up, and all green grass was burnt up. Now, usually when the Bible, uh, the word used for tree here, uh, in most of the rest of the places in the New Testament, is the same word used for fruit tree. So, most likely what's going to be a, a hurt is the vegetation and the meat industry. Well, so how will the meat industry be hurt? What are the cows going to eat? There aren't any, there aren't any grass. You see, there's a problem. So uh, this is going to affect the earth's economy. Now, what plague does this uh, uh, copy? E- the Egyptian plague number seven, hail rained on the earth. So God is repeating this act. What will be lost? One-third of all the trees and the grass will be gone. One-third of the... Are you picture, picturing the earth? Look at it from the sky, from... Let's say you're in the, the, the International Space Station. You're looking down at the earth the way it is, all the blue and the green. Now you have blue, green, and a third of the green is now brown. Now brown. God's dropping his judgment on the earth. Uh, this was, By the way, this was prophesied in Joel chapter 2, verse 30. For those of you who are note takers, I'm going to throw out a lot of things. You can go back and study it more yourself. Uh, the, second, the second trumpet judgment, one-third of the ocean will be turned to blood. One-third of the ocean will be turned to blood. Look at Revelation chapter 8, verse 8. And the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain uh, burning with uh, fire was cast uh, into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea uh, and had life died. And the third part of the ships were destroyed. Now notice here it says, and as it were a great mountain. Uh, we don't know if this is an actual mountain, a great mountain being thrown in the sea, or if it was an object that looked like a great mountain. Uh, there's no way for us to know that. Uh, some people like to try to take modern day technology and overlay it, the book of Revelation uh, and do this on a hyper level and turn everything into a technological advancement. I'm not re- really willing to go there with this. We don't know what will be thrown in the oceans. But whatever it is, is going to turn a third of all ocean water, all salt water, into blood. 
into blood. Now you're looking at the earth from that International Space Station. Now it was blue, green, and brown. Now it's blue, red, green, and brown. It's going to be nasty. You say, well, what's going to happen? Well, the Bible tells us there that a third of aquatic life in the ocean will die and a third of the ships. By the way, this mirrors Egyptian plague number one where the water was turned to blood by uh, uh, Aaron's staff. Now, in 2017, there were 52,000 merchant ships. Most everything you buy at Walmart was once, was once on one of those merchant ships. How many ever gone on eBay and bought something from China? All right? You know what? You've got to wait a long time, don't you? They're putting it on one of those merchant ships. It's coming across into port, and then it, it gets delivered over to you. Can you imagine what this is going to do? What's one-third of 52,000 ships? That's more than 17,000 ships are going to be destroyed. It's going to be ugly. Now the meat industry is struggling. The, the vegetation or the, the fruit industry is struggling. And now we're having a problem with just getting consumer products from one end of the world to the other because a third of the ships have been destroyed. The third trumpet will sound and fresh water, uh, the third trumpet judgment, fresh water will be made bitter by a falling star named Wormwood. Look, look with me at uh, verse 10 of Revelation 8. And the third angel sounded and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. And the names of the, the name of the star is called Wormwood. That word Wormwood means bitter, bitter. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood or bitter. And many men died of the waters because they were made Bitter. Now, uh, if you've been reading uh, any of the news lately or even loosely, you've seen stories about how we've got these rocks that are flying toward Earth and they keep missing us. And in the grand scheme of how big the Milky Way galaxy is, they're only missing us by a couple degrees. Now, a couple degrees is a long ways, but they're missing us. And I believe God's providential hand is making sure they miss us. But there will be one of those uh, rocks flying through space that is not going to miss the earth during this time. It's going to be guided directly in Earth's atmosphere. What I believe will happen is this star, Wormwood, will hit the atmosphere and will break up into hundreds of pieces and will fall into fresh water all across the globe and one-third of those waters will be made bitter. Now, there is no Egyptian plague equivalent, but you might remember that after they crossed the Red Sea, they had the bitter waters of Mara that were made sweet. So there is a comparison there, just not with the plagues. Now, what will be lost? All men that drink from this water will die. All of mankind that drinks from this water will die. If mankind will die by just drinking the water, what do you think it's going to do to the aquatic life living in that water? Probably kill it, right? Trumpet judgment number four. One third of the sun, moon, and stars will be darkened. Look at Revelation chapter 8, verse 12. And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars. So as the third part of them were, was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise, and I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other uh, voices of the trumpet of the three angels, which are yet to sound. We'll look at verse 13 in a minute. But verse 12, we see that the sky is darkened by a third. Uh, uh, this is equivalent to, or rather uh, parallels with the Egyptian plague number nine, where utter darkness fell on the earth for a time. 
And we know that God does control the, the light in the, in the darkness of the sky. He made the sun stand still in the sky for an additional 24 hours with Joshua. We know that uh, the sky darkened when Jesus was crucified. What will be lost? Well, can you imagine all the people that are dependent on solar energy? More and more people are becoming dependent on that, aren't they? And all of that that will be uh, limited. Uh, what happens when the sky goes black or dark or is darker for a longer period of time? The Bible tells us that men love darkness rather than the light. Why? Their deeds are evil. I have a feeling that once the sky is darker, a third of the time longer, uh, looting will be on the rise. Thefts will be on the rise. You ever see, uh, you remember when the floods happened in New Orleans during Katrina? All of the pillaging and stealing that happened. You remember when the, uh, the riots broke out in Baltimore a couple of years ago? I lived uh, in Maryland when that happened. That broke my heart because I've done a lot of evan- evangelistic work in the Baltimore area. And I used to uh, uh, go out and, and evangelize right near where all that happened. And people were going in and just taking whatever they wanted out of CVSs and 7-Elevens and stealing because chaos was everywhere. And uh, that's what's going to happen during this time because there will be more darkness and people will be able to commit greater sin under the cover of darkness. Um, By the way, this was prophesied in Amos 5.18. The last three judgments, last three trumpet judgments will be more severe than the first four. If you thought the first four were bad, the next three to come are even worse. In fact, this next one is the one that scares me the most. Okay, When I read about this next one, it literally makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Alright, so look at verse 13 with me. And I beheld an, an angel, and, and I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, by reason of the other voices of the trumpets of the three angels which are yet to sound. That phrase there, inhabitants of the earth, that is talking about people who worship the earth, worship sin on the earth. Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. You have worshipped the earth. You have loved the earth. You have coddled the earth. You have worshipped the creation more than the creator. God is going to show you what he can do to your God. And so um, uh, the ne- this next one is crazy. Let's look at number five. Demon locusts that torture mankind for five months. Demon locusts that torture mankind for five months. Now, by the way. The average lifespan of a locust is five months. And locusts generally attack vegetation. They're going to be commanded, we'll read here in a minute, they're going to be commanded not to touch vegetation, but to be on earth for the sole purpose of torturing men. Look at verse 1 of chapter 9. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven into the earth. My opinion, all right? I would state this is my opinion. That star that fell from heaven unto the earth... I believe that star, that streak of light, to be Lucifer. He was thrown out of heaven. He's called the angel of light. Okay? Star fell from heaven out of the earth. And to him, the star is a person, was given the key of the bottomless pit. Notice that whoever this angel is does not possess the key to the bottomless pit. It was given to him. All right? So I think that this is Satan. By the way, Satan hates the creation of God, even those that hate God with him, and he wants to torture them. So Satan, who was thrown out of heaven as that star falling from heaven, is given a key to open up the bottomless pit. Look at verse 2. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit. 
and the smoke of a great furnace. So picture this furnace door being open and smoke billowing out from the hot uh, uh, furnace that it is. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. You got the picture in your head? The, the pit of hell has been opened. The key's been given. The pit of hell's been opened. And this great smoke comes out of hell that darkens the sky. Okay? Look at verse number three. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth. And upon them was given power, as the scorpion, scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth. Neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men uh, which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. So those who are not sealed by God in their foreheads, they're to go after them. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh the man. And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it. And shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. People are literally going to be so tortured by these demon locusts, they're going to want to commit suicide. They're going to try to commit suicide, and they're not going to be able to die. Look at verse 7. This is the part that blows me away. And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared into battle. And on their heads were, as it were, crowns with like gold. And their faces were as the face of men. And they had hair as the hair of women. And their teeth were as the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates, as it were, breastplates of iron. You won't be able to kill these things. And the sound of their wings were as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. And they had tails like in the scorpions. And there were stings in their tails. And their power was to hurt men five months. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. Uh, one woe is past, and behold, there come two woes more hereafter. God is saying, you want to choose sin? You want to choose wickedness? I'm going to choose to punish you by releasing on you these demon locusts that will torture you. How much does God hate sin? I'd say God hates sin. Do you think maybe God hates your sin right now? Now, he's not going to release demon locusts on you because you're saved. But he still hates your sin. This is equivalent to the Egyptian plague number eight, or rather in line with Egyptian plague number, not equivalent, this is worse than Egyptian plague number eight, but parallels Egyptian plague number eight where locusts were sent uh, through Egypt. What will be lost? Mankind will be stung, tormented, and they will desire death. Let's look at the sixth trumpet judgment. This would be the second woe judgment. Two, a 200 million demon army will attack the inhabitants of the earth. A 200 million demon army will attack the inhabitants of the earth. Go back to chapter 9 and verse number 13. It says there, And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loose, which had prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year, for to slay the third part of men. So how long will this go on? For uh, one day, one month, one year. Uh, and the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000,000, or 
200 million. And I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision, and them that sat on them having uh, breastplates of fire and of jacinth and brimstone. And the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions, and out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. By these three were the third part of men killed, by the fire and by the smoke and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouth. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails were like as serpents and had heads, uh, and with them they do hurt. So uh, it sounds like to me this is probably a demon army that's being released. There are people out there much smarter than me uh, who, who would agree with me. There are people out there much smarter than me that think that this is some sort of uh, atomic um, uh, attack on earth. Uh, I don't know if this involves modern technology. I, I have no way of knowing that. So I'm going to go with uh, my opinion is that this is a 200 million demon army that's released out of the Euphrates River. Now, what will be lost? One third of the remaining humanity will be killed. So one quarter was killed during the first seven judgments. And now an additional third. This is from the onset of the tribulation. This will now be one half, a total of one half of all of the inhabitants of the earth. For those who don't believe in, in God and Jesus, they'll be killed. This parallels Egyptian plague number 10 where the death angel went through and killed the, the oldest, the firstborn of each home that didn't have the blood on the doorpost. This was prophesied of in Jeremiah 8, 3. The seventh judgment, uh, trumpet judgment opens up the seven vile or bold judgments. And we're going to look at those another week. Let me give you some things that are practical. You can hang your spiritual hat on this morning as we begin to wrap the service up. Number four, notice the persistent rebellion of the sinners. Now, you would think that after all of that, the sun being darkened, the uh, waters of the world, one-third of them being turned to blood, uh, the demon locusts that have tortured them, the 200 million army, the, the angels coming through the heavens of the earth saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. You'd think people would be like, I'm sorry, God. I'm on your team. You know the old adage, if you can't beat them, join them? You think some people would say, I can't beat you, I'm going to join you. That's not what's going to happen. It's not what's going to happen. Look at verse number 20 of Revelation chapter 9. We get what these people say. After all of this has happened, and the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk, neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. These people are going to be miserable. They're going to be told, there's a way out. Turn from your sin and repent. And they're going to say, no. No. If God is mean enough to punish me like this, I don't want this God. Can I tell you something? You have a choice on which side of God's passion you're going to fall. You either get to get punished by God or loved by God. And as fierce as this punishment is, God's love is just as fierce on the other side. And I'm here today to tell you, if you've walked in our church without Jesus, you need to choose Jesus and you need to do it now. 
Because you choose His love. And you say, well, you're showing me the wrath of God. What about the love of God? My friend, God loves you. He put His Son on a cross to die in your place, to become your sin. If you'll choose Jesus, He'll forgive you of your sin. You won't fall under this condemnation, this wrath. Those who reject the death of God's Son will suffer the pain and the consequences for that decision. And I'm here today to tell you, choose to let Jesus love you instead of letting Jesus punish you. The persistent rebellion of sinners. You know, I believe that many people will go to hell because of their own pride and stubbornness. They're proud. The Bible says that pride compasses us about as a chain. We want to stand up and do right. We want to stand up and walk away from wrong. We want to make the right choice, but our own pride has us strapped to the wrong chair. We can't move. That's why you've got to humble your heart before a holy God, and you've got to accept His sacrifice on the cross and the free gift of salvation that He purchased for you at Calvary. Don't be stubborn. Don't be stubborn against God. Number five, notice the parallels with Pharaoh's Egypt. The parallels with Pharaoh's Egypt. Funny enough, this story, this story has played out once before in humanity. Now on a much smaller scale. And the punishment wasn't as severe as it will be in Revelation. But we've seen this, we've seen this play before. Let me give you an A, B, and C. A, notice, hateful toward God. Let's finish the sermon in the book of Exodus. Can you flip back to Exodus chapter 5, second book of the Bible? Exodus chapter 5. The background here is that Joseph was carried away into slavery as a young man. His brothers sold him into slavery because they hated him. He was daddy's favorite, so they got rid of him by selling him as a slave. He landed in Egypt uh, because he had both uh, uh, gifts for God and a character toward God. He ended up climbing up his way all the way to the top, and he became second in command of all of Egypt at that time, the most powerful kingdom of the world. And uh, uh, he moved his father and his brothers, uh, once he forgave them, moved them back into uh, uh, moved them into Egypt, and there they lived in the land of Goshen, right next to uh, uh, Egypt, or in a city in Egypt, and they began to multiply and grow and multiply and grow, and eventually they became so numerous that the Egyptians enslaved them, and one of those children was Moses, and Moses went away in the wilderness, and God sent him back and said, go free my people from Egypt. And so uh, uh, you have these pagan Egyptians that have God's people in slavery under captivity. And Moses is there to liberate God's people. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. And afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. Look at Pharaoh's cold-hearted, hateful response. Verse 2. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice, to let Israel go. I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Pharaoh, yes you do. You know who God is. Your father 
You are you are uh, Moses' stepbrother. You grow, grew up with Moses and Moses talked about God to you. And your father recognized the God of heaven and even knew who he was. May not have worshipped him, but he knew who he was. Uh, uh, you're lying through your teeth. It isn't that you don't know God. It's that you hate God. And you know what I find is that people that walk this earth and say, I don't believe in God. They spend their whole entire life trying to hate on God and get rid of God. i got to tell you this morning, I don't believe in Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny, but I'm not on some sort of vendetta to ruin uh, uh, those characters and, and, and hurt His image to the world. If you've got a child in here, I'm sorry I ruined the surprise. Amen? But... Um, uh, People that claim to be atheists do more to try to, many of them, not all of them, many of them try to do more to hurt and ruin God's reputation. Why is it that atheists take God's name in vain? I thought you didn't believe in it. Why are you taking his name in vain? You know why? Because they hate him. Pharaoh claimed he didn't know who God was, but Pharaoh's problem was that he hated God. No, God, these people aren't your people. They're my people. They will serve me not you. I will not let them go. In the end days, the Antichrist, he will look at the inhabitants of the earth and he will say, no, God, this isn't your creation. These aren't your people. These are my people. And I will not release my control. Hateful toward God. Hateful toward God. Some people hate God. And I have to just look at you and say, why? Why do you hate God? Do you hate God because He gave mankind a free will and through those free will choices you've been hurt? You can't be a hypocrite on that. Please hear me. Everybody look up here at me. You don't get to be glad that you have a free will on one hand and then angry and hateful toward God because that free will in other people or even yourself has caused you pain and hurt. You don't get to have it both ways. How many of you glad you got to pick your outfit this morning and God didn't come down and tell you what to wear? You don't get to be glad that you have a choice about what car to buy and what house to live in and what job to work in and who to marry on one hand and then be angry at God because he gave you that free will and others that free will and that power was used to hurt you. You don't get to have it both ways. People are hateful toward God and they have many different reasons why. And I've got to tell you that God loves you. All the pain and hurt in your life has nothing really to do with God. It has to do with people choosing against God's way. Hateful toward God. Parallels with Egypt. Letter B, notice the hand of God's punishment. The hand of God's punishment. Just like God will one day rain down His wrath on this world for their sin, God did rain down His wrath on Pharaoh. Christians, we hide behind a lot of excuses. For pain and hurt in our hearts. And the truth is, that's God's hand of punishment on us. Because we won't quit living in sin. You say, well, I've got relationship strains. Maybe if you'd quit sinning, you'd quit having relationship strains. You say, well, I, I struggle with mental problems. I'm depressed or I'm anxious or I'm hurt or I'm sad all the time. Well... Uh, and again, I don't want to come across as cold, but I'm just trying to give you the truth here. Could it be that God is punishing you because you won't let go of certain sins in your life that He's been dealing with you for a long time? Maybe if you'd quit sinning, He'd quit allowing you to be mentally and emotionally tormented. 
You see, God loves you, but He hates your sin. God will punish evildoers. Be sure your sin will find you out. The hand of God's punishment, letter C, notice hardened hearts. Hardened hearts. And here's why I want to bring the sermon to a close. Look with me at Exodus chapter 9, verse number 34. The Bible says there, And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder were ceased, he sinned yet more and hardened his heart, he and his servants. And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. Neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken by Moses. Isn't that what we saw with the persistent rebellion of the sinners? You're going to have the demon locust. You're going to have the, the waters turned to blood, the, the, the grass turned uh, burned. And, and, and they're not going to repent. The, the third of mankind will die. They're not going to repent. They're going to become hardened in their hearts. And that's exactly what Pharaoh did, isn't it? God sent the rain and the hail and the thunders. And when they ceased, he didn't repent. He hardened his heart. You say, well, but pastor, Pharaoh was a lost heathen. And the Antichrist and, and the people of the mark of the beast, they'll be lost heathens. And I'm not a lost heathen. No. But you're just as capable of hardening your heart under the chastising hand of God as others. When God punishes you and corrects you, when sin is pointed out in your life and you fall under the hand, the chastising hand of God, His punishment, do you harden your heart or do you come under and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm sorry. Look, some of you have been kicked in the mouth financially lately. Some of you have been kicked in the mouth... Uh, uh, with your health lately, and you don't know what's going on. And I'm not here to say that that is or isn't God's punishment. But if di- deep down inside you know that it is, why don't you just give in and let God have His way? Quit running from the chastising hand of God and say, God, you know what's best for me, and you love me, and you want to guide me, and you want to take care of me. And Lord, here is my stubborn will. I'm going to break it, and you can have not just some of me, you can have all of me, Lord. You hate my sin, and I hate my sin. You want me to be righteous, and I want to be righteous. And Lord, try me from within, and show me where I'm wrong. And when you show me, I will give that to you. Boy, too many Christians are not copying the example of a David who fell on his knees in Psalm 51 and said, Lord, I'm sorry. They're following the example of Pharaoh and they're hardening their heart at the chastening of God. And I've got to tell you, if your stubbornness becomes more fierce, the chastising hand of God will become more fierce. You cannot beat God. Why don't we just stop trying? This morning, if you're here and you've been running from God's grace, His saving grace, can I encourage you? To put down your hands and quit fighting. Submit your heart and let God have His way. Let Him save you. Let Him wash away your sins and give you the gift of eternal life. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. How many here today say, Pastor Lejeune, I'm not everything I ought to be. I'm not everything I want to be. But one thing I am is I'm saved. Jesus Christ has come in my heart. He's taken away my sins. Not because of who I am or what I've done, but because of what He did for me. His death and resurrection from the dead, 
and my faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pastor, I'm saved. Here's my hand. If that's you, would you slip up your hand? I know I'm going to heaven. I've believed in Jesus. You can put your hands down. Is there one here today in the privacy of the moment that would say, Pastor, I don't know if I were to die, I'd go to heaven. My friend, I don't want to embarrass you. I would like to pray for you. Is there one here today say, Pastor, if I die today, I don't know where I would spend eternity. Pastor, would you please pray for me? If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? I just don't know. Is there one? I I hope that means that everyone here is saved on their way to heaven. If not, Pastor Mike is standing down front. and In a few minutes when our piano plays and folks come forward to make a decision for Christ, he would love to take the Bible and show you how you can know you're going to heaven. If you're a lady, we'll get a lady to show you. But please don't leave here today on the wrong side of the passion of God. How many here today say, Pastor, God has been trying to correct me on some stubborn sins in my life, and I, I've been more like Pharaoh than David. I've been stubborn with God, and I've not wanted to relinquish, give way, and surrender to Him. Pastor, I'm tired of fighting against a God I can't beat. Help me, Pastor, or you say, Pastor, I want to accept His way. I want to do things God's way. Pastor, would you help me? Pastor, would you pray for me that God would help me to set aside my stubborn will and do things the right way? If that's you, you just slip up your hand so I can pray for you. Some areas in my life, I know I'm wrong. I know I'm out of bounds. God's dealt with me, and I've not been doing the right thing. How many here today say, Pastor, I don't know why, but I'm going through a tough time in my life. Maybe it's the punishing hand of God, maybe it's not. But, Pastor, I need to know that God is near and dear to me as I go through this struggle. If that's you, would you slip up your hand? I'm going through a tough time. Would you just pray for me, Pastor? Many hands. Lord, would you help those that are hurting and struggling? You know the needs. You know the heart. You know the problem. You know if you're trying to correct or not. Would you reveal that to them? And, Lord, would you help those folks that raised a hand to come under and submit and follow your perfect will? Lord, would you help us to be folks that Choose righteousness. And Lord, where you point out sin in our hearts, may we be quick to confess it, knowing that if we'll live inside the confines of righteousness, Lord, we'll have greater liberty in you. Lord, we are thankful that you give us your word to study and understand it. Help us, Lord, to be inspired by it, to do right in Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed. The altar is open. You can pray there at your seat or you're welcome to come and kneel here at the front and tell the Lord that you want to make a decision to do right, to live right.